explain now we'll read from the word of God. And the reason here, why we call it the word of God, unlike some who say that it was man's thoughts, our man's best assumptions, our imaginations about what God wanted to tell us, and we know that, right, that they wrote what the Holy Ghost had given them to write, just as he did in the Old Testament. Amen. So all scripture is God-breathed. Amen. So with that, let's hear from our Lord, and the servant of our Lord, but from the Lord himself, from the book of Philippians, starting in chapter 1, starting in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. In having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great salvation in and by and through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have not left us alone, you have not left us to our imaginations, but you have given us your word to speak to us and to lead us and to guide us and to build us up. Lord, pray now, be with the preacher as he comes up, Lord. And Lord, as your word says, may your word which goes forth, may you give us ears to understand it, and that we believe and we know that your word will accomplish the purpose for which you send it, Lord. May you build up your people, and for any lost sheep who will hear this message, Lord, may the seed planted be used by you to open their eyes and soften their heart and to save them, Lord. May you be praised and glorified through the preaching and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, as I said earlier, good to be all back together with you all. Amen. That really is true. There's no place like home for sure. And uh, it was a privilege to visit the Phoenix Reformed Baptist Church in Phoenix down there. And um, I was just telling some of the brothers that it's, it was so much like ours. I mean, it literally uh, just it, it could have been our church there, and uh, such a blessing to know that the Lord is using other men, amen, other churches, other families, down in a pool of over two million people. It's amazing to, uh, to see that and to see how the Lord is working there. So I told the brothers there we would certainly be praying for him, and we will do that because uh, we need more faithful churches, amen, faithful churches who will stick to the Word of God. As I was telling one of the brothers, their church down there is about our size, and uh, just down the street, down the street, and that's what I call them. The, there's an evangelical 
dog and pony show just down the street and they literally had to have cops controlling the traffic because so many people were flocking there. It's amazing to see this, brethren. And uh, again, I pray it's an encouragement to you as we as elders and brothers and sisters stay firmly grounded in the word of God, brothers. Amen and sisters. This is what we need above all else uh, for us this morning. And well, the title of my message this morning is for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And again, as I said earlier, I don't want this to be a morbid thing. God would never put something in the scriptures that would be a morbid thing, but uh, he has his means to bring about his ends in the believer's life. Amen? Mortality is defined biblically as a state of being subject to eventual death. Let me say that again. It's a state of being subject to eventual death. From the moment our parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God in the garden, all of earthly life became mortal. It became destined to die, brethren. And that's something, again, as we sit and consider our text this morning, because there's hope here, amen? And this is what Paul is doing. He's, he's going to show the brothers that this life is fleeting, that this life will pass rather quickly, but yet where are we to focus? Where are we to be focused at concerning our own lives? Adam and Eve ushered themselves along with all of their posterity into a state of being subject to eventual death. Now, we've all heard of the phrase, whistling past the graveyard. Who, who, who's heard that one before? Amen. That was actually written in a poem back in the 1800s. And it really comes from the idea to act or pretend as if one is relaxed and not afraid, but deep down inside they're scared to death. Amen. So we see this all the time, just whistling past the graveyard. Most people, most people, brethren, are scared to even think about their own mortality. It is to them a taboo subject, amen, that they do indeed whistle past. It's a stunning thing when we all consider this. Now, again, I'm not trying to be mortal, but I remember like it was yesterday. I remember like it was just yesterday as a young pastor, standing beside the bed of a young woman, amen, praying with her family as she took her last breath. Very first time I'd ever experienced something like that. I have to tell you, it was one of the strangest feelings I've ever had. Thinking for a moment that, again, here's this person's spirit that was in the body and now has departed right in front of me. It was an extremely strange feeling. And I had that same feeling when I was standing beside my own father's bed, reading the book of John to him as he passed away, took his last breath. I'm not sure if one ever gets used to that. I'm not sure if one ever gets used to that, although this is why we have our text this morning, amen, to help us to understand that death is coming. If the Lord Terry's brother, and as I was thinking of my own mortality, as I, as I consider those things, Wendy thinks I'm morbid because I think about it a lot. But the reason I think about it a lot is because that's what the Lord used when he was drawing me to Christ. I became obsessively morbid with obituaries. <laughs> and of course, you young people now, you don't know what a newspaper is. But back when the, before the Lord saved me, there was this thing called a newspaper. And you could open it up and you'd look there and you'd see their picture and there's this obituary there. And I'd, I kept asking the question, they were here, where did they go? 
They didn't just annihilate and disappear. They went somewhere. Where did they go? And that was one of the things the Lord really began to show me my own mortality. And it's interesting when I was considering our text this morning, I was thinking about the number of funerals that I've preached. And many, many, many I have. Many. I've stood beside the casket. I've stood beside the graveside. And I thought, if the Lord tarries, another will be preaching mine. It's an amazing thing to consider one's mortality. In fact, God wants us to do that. We've been instructed by Scripture to consider these things, brethren. And again, there's great godly wisdom in it, as I said. Consider for a moment the words of Job. Let us think about this for a moment. Job chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday, and know nothing, because our days upon the earth are as a shadow. What's the substance of a shadow? (laughs) It has none. It's fleeting. It's gone. It's here, and it's gone. There's no substance. You really can't grab a hold of it, and it's gone before, and quickly fades away before you can ever get a hold of it. David himself, in 1 Chronicles, says the same thing. What is our life but a shadow? It is indeed a shadow. In fact, our brother James, he takes it even to another level. Amen. Let me listen to the words of brother James in James chapter 4. He says, go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? But a what? Vapor. Now, brethren, he didn't use smoke. (laughs) You know, when, uh, when something's on fire, you can see it from a long ways away, and it has a lasting effect. You know what a vapor has? It's gone. It is, has no substance, and before you can grasp it, it quickly fades away. This, brethren, is, again, the instruction we get from God concerning our lives, our physical mortality. And again, it's a tool that God uses to get the child of God to consider his eternal mortality, his eternal life. It's quite an amazing thing when you consider that. And again, this causes us, Bible believers and lost sheep, to consider this thing carefully and listen to God's instruction. Now listen, this is the one thing we must consider as well. Our Physical death is separation of the soul from the body. But brother, and spiritual death is separation from God. And it is much more than that, but that is in a general sense what we see. There's a spiritual or a soul separating from the body, but that's our physical mortality. That's going to happen if the Lord does not tarry. All of us will taste it. The question becomes, are we prepared to taste it? And again, this is not easy. It's not easy. It was sad. It was quite sad for me as a, as a son to stand beside my father's bed and experience that, reading the Gospel of John to him, John chapter 5. I remember like it was yesterday. And yet, amazingly, the Lord, nine days before that happened, there was a transaction that transpired between him and the Lord. 
by another man whom I, I could tell you the, the, the stunning story, but it was such a relief, brethren, to know that my dad, who leaned on his religiosity, on his Catholic faith and religion all of his life, rejecting all of my children, all of my children here, the older ones especially, all preached to him, all gave him tracts. He rejected all of it. I preached. He rejected all of it. And a man who he didn't even know comes to visit another man in the hospital that wasn't there. <laughs> if I wish I could spend some time. This is God working it out. Amen? A pastor from another church comes to visit another man in the hospital. We just are sitting on the couch there, and he comes in and goes, oh, I'm going to visit this guy. Oh, okay, nice. He prayed with us. He leaves. He comes back. He goes, hey, that guy's not here. Let's go visit your dad. See, that's what God had in store. He went to see another man. God had him there to see my father, who finally, as God drew him, trusted in Christ alone as his Lord and Savior. Now, we look here, brethren, again, that Paul, as he brings us to our text, helps you and I to grasp this and get a hold of it and understand what God is trying to teach us here. Look at verse number 19. We're going to read verses 19, 20, and 21 together. Again, not in a morbid sense, brethren, but in a biblical reality and truth. And this is what I want to encourage you with this morning when we're all done. Look at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn out to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so know also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Now listen, whether it be by life or by death. So Paul begins here in verse number 19 with the word for, for, of course, if you understand, is a conjunction. Not that we need an English lesson this morning, but it's a conjunction in which he joins verse 18 with verse 19, and then he lays out the facts of why he's able to rejoice. Remember now, this whole, uh, if you will, this epistle is about rejoicing. Rejoicing no matter what, no matter what circumstance. Paul's been in prison. He's writing here, and he's rejoicing. And he's, so what he's doing, he's tying verse 18 and 19. He's conjoining them, and he, the reason he says I can rejoice is because he's sure and he's certain of the expectation, brethren, that the Spirit of Christ will in one way or another, whether on earth or in heaven, will deliver him from his current situation, causing, as one pastor said, his fetters to become his freedom. He is convinced, convinced of this. He knows that it's going to lead to his freedom. He knows that sovereign God is victoriously working all of this out. And again, I say that all the time because it's all we see in Paul's life. Is the Lord bringing him here, putting him in this situation, bringing him here, preaching the gospel, and then God delivering him? Which is what the word salvation means here. You know, salvation can mean to be saved. Here it means that Paul's going to be delivered. That he's convinced of that. He knows that. And brethren, that is a glorious thing to understand. He knows also. He rejoices because he knows that the brethren are praying for him. Brethren, I, I can't instill to you enough how important it is that we pray for one another. Can I say that again? I don't think we understand 
How important it is. As Paul looked, as a pastor, as a Christian, as our pastors, our other pastors here, Howard and Dean, how important it is, brethren, that you pray for us. That encourages us. This is what Paul is saying. Not only is sovereign God by the supply and spirit of Christ going to deliver me, but the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the people, us praying for one another is such a rejoicing encouragement. We must realize this, brother, and I know we're Americans. <laughs> Americans, I would say that. You know what? We'll go home today. You know what I mean? We're not going to have a shortage of food, I don't think. We're not going to have a shortage of a warm place to stay. But if we did, I think we would pray more, don't you? I think that would certainly cause us to, to really pray upon God. And like a couple Wednesday nights ago, I was talking, you know, the, the author of Psalms, David, looking up and he says, I lift up mine eyes to the mountains from whence cometh my help. God is our help. God is our stable help. And we must continue to look to him. And this is Paul is just so grateful to the brethren here that they would pray for him. Amen. So important. In fact, the Spirit of Christ is the supply. We know this. It is the source. He is the sole source. He is the sole provider. But the prayers of the brethren are the channels by which God is doing this, which is quite a stunning thing. Look with me, you would, for just a moment. Paul's final words. Now, <laughs> again, not trying to be morbid, but if you follow through the writings of Paul, you can't believe the number of times that he speaks about this, about his own mortality. Almost in every letter, he addresses his own mortality. And look what he does, his final words almost, the final inspired words that, that the Holy Ghost leads him to write. Look what he says. Look at 2 Timothy there, if you would, chapter 4. Look what he is convinced of. Now, in our text, I believe he's talking about physical deliverance. Here he is talking about spiritual deliverance. Because <laughs> he's just a matter of months away, as, as the pastor once said that I heard preached from this text. He could hear the swinging of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the sword that was in the hands of Nero's people as he's writing this. He can hear it because his head is soon to come off. And listen to what he says. Again, brother, knowing his own earthly mortality. Look at chapter 4, look at verse number 16. And again, brethren, I've preached through this text, through this book. We've looked at this from all kinds of angles. Paul is saying everybody's left. Think of that for a moment. The, the greatest preacher apart from Christ himself who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament in the end, he's saying, so-and-so left me, so-and-so has deserted me, so-and-so turned his back. In fact, this coppersmith, watch out for him, beware of him, because I thought he was one of us, and he's, he's doing much harm to the gospel and to the movement of Christ. Named him by name. Look there what he says. Look at verse number 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men what? forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and, uh, that, and that all the Gentiles might hear 
And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Do you see that there? That delivered is a past tense. This is something that God has always done for him. He knows the situation he's gotten into and he believes in the sovereign hand of God at work. He says, God's always delivered me. Even past where our letter is this morning, this salvation, this being delivered. He had full and he knew full well that because of who God is, that he would deliver him. Now listen, read on. Not only was he delivered in the past out of the mouth of the lion, and many believe it was indeed Nero at this point that he was delivered from, or the Gentiles for sure. Look at verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you see that? Not only did God deliver him in the past, but God is going to deliver him when? In the future. He shall deliver me. Paul, again, is teaching us here, brethren, again, in the brevity of life, it is God who delivers. It is God who will take care of you. It is God who will save you, no matter what circumstance you might be in. It's quite amazing because Paul trusted here by faith in the Lord's sure and certain rescue from grave danger. Therefore, preserving his well-being, whether it be, as Paul said, in life or in death. Either way, what's Paul's concern in the text? Either way, hey, listen, if I live or if I die, it doesn't matter. But what is his concern? Look there. His concern is that Christ is what? Magnified. That Christ is glorified and no matter what the Lord has in store for him. Look there, if you would, at verse number 20 of Philippians chapter 1. Look there. This again is his concern, his, his only expectation Look there again, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, remember we talked about, we defined that word as just being extreme in action. As always, so now also Christ shall be what? Magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. It mattered not to Paul. What mattered to him was, that the Lord Jesus Christ was magnified. In fact, when you consider it there, verse 18 is really, if we look at verse 18 there, Christ was preached there. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Here, Christ will be magnified. He actually, again, ties those two verses together. That Christ will be made greater. Do you understand what that means? Do you know what magnified means? It means that Christ will be made greater, that he, will, that he will be, if you will, up and projected. And that Paul, like, the, like, like John did, John the Baptist, what did John say, remember? He must increase, I must decrease. That's what Paul is saying. Whether I live, whether I die, the only thing I'm worried about is if Christ is magnified, is he lifted up. And so, again, brethren, quite a different thought than what we have most of the time. We're busy preserving our life, and again, there's something to that. But the Lord is magnified, and again, Christ preached has to do with our words. Here, in verse 18, Christ preached has to do with our words. Here, Christ is magnified, that has to do with our works, with what people see. They see that I've been changed. They see that God has changed me, that I've become a Christian, and through the works of the Spirit, they see it. I'm not just saying it, I'm, what, living it. And this is what Paul is saying. He ties those two together. You, brethren, listen again. 
as we always say, there's no such thing in Scripture as easy believism. Nowhere. It does not exist. If one is converted, the life always follows. It has to, brethren, by nature. Brother Howard was talking about it in Bible study this morning. We're not robots, but our natures are changed. Our creaturely wills are changed. And then the Spirit of God comes and we live out that by the power of the Spirit of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. To supply the source of the power is, of course, the Spirit of God. It is not a question of either or. It's a question of both. They go together. Now look what he says in verse 21. What an amazing text. What an amazing thing to combine together in our text this morning. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now again, brethren, this is not conducent to our culture. It isn't really conducent to, you know, there's a strange, again, desire for us to live, isn't there? Isn't there just like a, there's a strange desire for us to live. That, that, that is a natural thing, brother. It is not natural for you and I to say that for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. It's not something Western culture enjoys much of. They, they don't understand that. And to be honest with you, it's a hard text to preach because I have to get my own self in line with that. That's something the pastor should do. The word of God should move him too where he needs to be moved and have this same thought process and understanding, although it's a difficult thing. With verse 21 here, Paul amplifies verse 20. See how he's tying these together with his two alternatives. There's only two. There's not three, four, five. There's two. Either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. That's what he's doing. If Paul's mortal life ends at the hands of an executioner, he will magnify Christ in that. If he continues, if God allows him to live, guess what he's going to do? He's going to magnify Christ in that to everybody. So again, irregardless of what, he's, what happens, he is going to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in that. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, it speaks of his own testimony, brethren. It speaks of the work of God that God's done in him, the Christ-like work that is being produced there and being produced through him. Look at verse 22. Look there if you would. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my what? My labor. This is what they're seeing. They're seeing the Apostle Paul as he's been converted and changed. This is, if I stay living, this is what people are going to see. Christ working in me. Yet shall I choose, I wot not. Look at verse 24. There we see it again. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul has this struggle. Brethren, when I consider my mortality, one of the things that I haven't really done is felt this struggle to be with Christ and consider it a gain. You know why? Because I'm too comfortable here. I feel too good. My body feels too good right now, if I can say that at 60 years old. But the Lord has blessed me. But I guarantee you, if, when it starts to fall apart, amen, if cancer comes, much pain comes, that'll cause one to go, it is better by far. It is a gain beyond gains for me to leave this temporal place. Think of that for a moment, how our perspective changes. And yet Paul, perfectly, perfectly fine, physically fit, 
says, no, actually, for me, I'm having this struggle, and we're going to see that there. Paul says, but to die is gain. Paul knew his physical death was indeed, brethren, listen, a graduation to glory, a net gain that cannot be ever captured anywhere, a net gain for all Christians when we die. Now, can we have that perspective, amen? Can we ask God to give us that perspective? This is what Paul is saying. It's gain. Even though, listen, when Jesus walked on the earth and someone died, was he sorrow? Did he have sorrow? Yeah. There's sorrow. I'm not saying, this. again, this stuff's not easy. It's, it's sorrow. You feel sorrow. But yet, as a Christian, you look and say, man, again, looking at that young lady, looking at my father, leaving the body that just went still. And you go, he's now in the presence of Christ. He's there. The one we've preached about, the one we've talked about, the one we say we believe. And brethren, there is something deep to that, to understanding that and getting a hold of that, that yes, as God himself said, In Psalms 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is what? The death of his saints. That brethren, again, in our our mortal, in our physical self, is something to get to, to grasp. But yet, to God, that's precious. When a saved child of God leaves this body and enters into heavenly glory, that is precious to God. Now for us, if our children, our husband, our wife, something happens... Again, there's a sorrow there, and yet for the believer, you say to yourself, praise God, we just sang that song. I can't wait for it. Another hundred years, we'll all experience it. There'll be no more parting over there, brother. None. Isn't that something to think about? There's sorrow and separation here, but in God's eyes, when the saint leaves, when his mortal body lays still, and his spirit goes to be with Christ, that is a precious thing in his sight. And brethren, that is something that we really, really, I believe, struggle with it. Now Paul says here that he's in a strait. <laughs> he, 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 he says, it's good if I stay here. It's beneficial to you. But I'm in a strait. I'm betwixt the two. I want to do the one, and I want to do the other. I want to do them both. I know that one's better. I know that if I did die right now, that it would be gain. And that word straight means that he was in the squeeze. He was feeling the squeeze. He was feeling the pressure between wanting his own desires to go and be with the Lord and to yet be used by God here. That word really means the squeeze. If you can imagine, think of the pressure, the squeeze on his heart and mind that Paul was having concerning his whereabouts and his goings about. In fact, look what he says in verse 23 there again. For I am in a strait, I'm hard-pressed, I'm squeezed. Betwixt two, having a desire, again, there's Paul's desire, to depart and be with Christ, which is what? Far better. Do you see that good biblical view there? That's a good biblical view for us to have. That when this thing's all over, when our bodies are finally used, however long the Lord would allow us to be here in the tabernacle here, when it's over, it will, brethren, be far 
better. Not just better, far better. Do you see here how it's not morbid, but it's an encouragement to the brothers and to his own life? He's seeing the work of the Spirit of God here. You know, it's, it is a weird thing. Look at 2 Corinthians. Now, again, this was on Paul's mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look there if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He uses very much of the same language. He's feeling this pressure. He has this earnest expectation and hope of what is to come. Look here what he says in verse number 1. Look there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, you know what that word means there, temporary dwelling. Brethren, this is a temporary place. That's why I think it's amazing. And again, I, 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 I'm glad I have a pretty wife. And I'm sure you are too. Amen. It's good. Man, isn't it great? Well, some, when you men find, when the Lord sends you, your wife, you'll be thankful she's pretty on the outside, but pretty on the inside. Amen? This is why it's amazing. I've, told, I've said it before. American, now women, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. In today's perverse world, you don't know. But at one time, just a couple years ago, American women spent $3.8 billion on makeup. And again, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying we spent an awful lot of time investing in this thing, something that is temporary and is not going to be here very long. And as you continue, now you young, you young people, there's so many young people here this morning with us. You will experience what I've experienced, Lord willing, if he allows you to live. Yep. Things will move around that aren't supposed to move. You will experience pain like you've never had it before. Your looks will change dramatically. Dramatically. I took a picture of my graduation picture and I showed it to my kids. Who is this? No, it's me. <laughs> it's me with a smooth face. Of course, it was, you know, in the 70s, I had long hair, so I looked like a. But it's amazing how, brethren, you change. Paul is saying this. There's this temporary tabernacle. And look what he says about it. House of this, verse 1, of this temp tabernacle where we're dissolved and we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly. There it is again, that squeezing. Paul's understanding and biblical understanding of dying and being with the Lord. There's this earnest pressure and desire to be there with him. Not me. I want to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. That's our attitude. It's what we do. It's how different it is than, than what the Bible says and what our attitude should actually be. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Listen. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for, uh, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that. What's that word? Mortality. My being prone to death is gone. Look what it says. Might be swallowed up of life. 
Now he that hath wrought us this self-same thing is God. Look at, see, again, this is something God gives to the Christian, gives to the child of God who's believed and trusted in him that, yes, there is more. There is more, and it's far better, and it's a glorious place. And brethren, as Peter described it, must, uh, rust and moth can never sneak in and destroy it, can never take it. What an amazing thing, brethren, to consider when we look at it. Look what he says. He says, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit, the pledge, a part of the purchase, as a security in advance for the rest of the payment. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from where? The Lord. Hey, there's no soul sleeping, okay? You know, when, when, when your body, when your spirit leaves your body, you are either going to go to be with the Lord or you're going to be in hell. One of the two places. That's it. There's no other place. Two places. Not purgatory. Not where I can come and pray for you. Let's see if I have this blasphemous understanding right. That the, the, the sacrifice of Christ and his work wasn't enough, but I can somehow go and pray somewhere and pray you out of purgatory. Boy, that's blasphemous to the max. It doesn't get any more blasphemous than that. Stunning. Paul says, nope. If I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. This is where I'll be. And that's where you will be this morning if you're saved. If you walk out of the building or I suddenly fall over in the pulpit here and my body's lifeless and I'm gone, it isn't because I was a nice guy, a good guy, or had anything to offer. It was because of what Christ did for me. His work, his finished work, what has been imputed and, and given to me by God. Period. Verse 7, he says there, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Do you see there again? Do you see how that's backwards from what we normally think and consider? We should, brethren, pray. In fact, I was, well, I'm not going to say what kind of thoughts I was having on the airplane. I'm not going to do that. I like what one pastor said. He said, it is far better for a Christian to die than to live, although very few of us really believe it. And again, brother, these are the things that you struggle with. That I, As you, you look at these texts and you go, how do we balance all that out with our families and the children who need us and the, all those things, right? How do we balance that all out? And in the end, we pray that, of course, as, as, uh, as we see, the Lord's will is done in that. Paul said that the gain of verse 21, to die is gain, as I said, it's, just not, it's not just better, it's far better. To be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord, not present with the worms in the grave. Amen? What a glorious thing. Again, this is the teaching that Paul is doing. He's encouraging us, brethren. Do you see that? Again, I hope it's not too morbid. It's just a reality. Death is a reality unless the Lord tarries. Well, if he does tarry, death is a ref. Not, amen, we'll be all taken with him in the clouds. But more than likely, more than likely, you and I will taste it. The question is, are we prepared to taste it? Have we trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior? Has he saved us? That's the question we have. Now, Paul closes our text here back in, first, in Philippians chapter 1. 
I want you to see what he does. Look there at verses 25 and 26. And again, there's that word confidence. He knows. He is convinced in his heart of hearts. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of what? Faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by me coming to you again. In the end here, Paul knows that he hasn't written 2 Timothy yet. He hasn't written First and 2 Timothy yet. He knows that the words he'll write later are, will be his last words. But here, obviously, the Lord is preserving him. Why is he preserving him physically? He's preserving him for what? The furtherance of the gospel and the furtherance of the brethren's faith. Do you see that there? He's preserving him for two things. To not bring too much sorrow on the brethren, but also to further their faith. This again, brethren, is so needful for us to understand. Paul has no desire, and I pray that we will be moved to this kind of desire, to just dangle around the frayed edges of our mortal existence. He has no desire to do that. And brethren, I pray that the Lord will move us too, that we will not just be dangling around out here in our frayed edges of our existence. God has given us a glorious promise and a glorious purpose. Yes, that's right, brethren. When used perfect and right biblically, God has a purpose for you and for me. Not Rick Warren's purpose, but God's purpose. For what God would have us to do. Amen? And that's why when you look at Scripture, it doesn't take very long to figure out the will of God for your life. It really doesn't. Even though, again, as I did when I was younger and probably still do to a degree, I'm out here kind of flopping around. God's glorious purpose for Paul is always in the forefront of his converted mind and heart. His whole life, his body, his soul, his spirit. We see Paul, that example, are centered again on the furtherance of the gospel and taking care and seeing that the brothers and sisters grow in the Lord. That was so important to him, the continual growth of our faith. That's why we talk about it all the time here, don't we? We converse about it a lot. Brethren, if you think you've arrived, you're in trouble. You realize that your walk with Christ is in trouble. Because I don't care how long you've been saved, 40 years or 10 days, you should be growing continually, nonstop, in the things of the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. I'm going to hang around now. The Lord's going to keep me here because he's going to help me to grow you in the Lord. And that's really what a pastor, an elder, our moms and dads in the home, this is our purpose. That we might grow together in the Lord. Listen, brethren. Listen. Things are getting very bad right now. They're very bad, very immoral, very sneaky and very subtle ways that this stuff is being pushed upon us. And I look out here and I see these young children out here, my own included. And one of the things, brethren, we must do, we must bring them up in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord. Do you realize how quickly one will fall off if we do not do that? And again, the controversy, and I was talking to Brother Howard here and Brother Dean 
about deviating a little bit from my usual sermons here, and we're going to preach a sermon on transgenderism. We have not addressed that issue. Now, brethren, that's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. If the Lord doesn't send a revival soon in the churches and in, in, in the hearts of Americans, we have seen nothing yet. Nothing. And our children, these young children, and if you men over here, if you guys, if the Lord blesses you all with children, we have no idea the sewer they're going to be swimming in. It doesn't get better. It is not getting better. It is getting worse and worse and worse. Paul's concern is that. This is why he praises God and he rejoices with the Lord that the Lord's going to allow him to stay there, that he might indeed, while well, staying in his prison for now, that he might indeed help them to grow in the Lord. That was so important to him, and it should be to us as well. Let me just say this. As our faith progresses, as it grows, our joy will escalate along with it because we will have a better understanding of who God is, kind of like Howard's Bible study this morning. When we understand who God is, then we understand completely who we are and why we rejoice in who he is. Yep. As it progresses, our joy will escalate along with it. We must, brethren, be ever vigilant about our first love. We must be ever vigilant about our first love. Remember what Jesus said about the church in Revelation? You've left your first love. And some bad things happen because of it. Now I know the men are sitting, well, is my wife my first love? No, she's your second love. Christ is your first love. Must always be. And this is the thing Paul is certainly concerned with. We do rejoice and we will rejoice, brethren, because Christ, Jesus is, again, Howard, stealing from your Bible study, he's always the same. He will never change. He's the same today, tomorrow, and yesterday. This is why, again, trusting in Holy Writ, trusting in what Scripture says is so needful for us. Christ never changes, I do. I might wake up tomorrow, be crabby and cranky, and I might, I might change. Christ never changes. God never changes. Amen? I want to close by reading us another text. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 9. We'll close with this this morning. As I said, uh, mortality is defined as the state of being in a continual state of death. We're subject to it. And I said, didn't I, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden against God, they plunged all of their, all of their posterity into that state. And this is again why the author of Hebrews, Paul, who I believe it is Paul, I can't say, but I believe it is, from the way it's written, different things that are said, but listen here what Paul says. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse number 27. Something made the, made the Lord burn this in our hearts. And as it is what? 
appointed. Do you see that there? Because of what happened in the garden, we are all appointed to what? As it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the what? The judgment. Now, brethren, again, we will not escape physical death if the Lord, ter- if the Lord tarries. We will not. This is what we have before us. We are appointed and destined to it. Amen? But it's an amazing thing when you consider that. The two opposite sides of it. And this is what I want to close with this morning. The opposite sides of this coin. The opposite sides of everybody's going to die. The opposite side of this judgment that comes. The Christian, our physical mortality, brethren, if you're saved, merely results in a change of our address. (laughs) That's all it does. In fact, what it does, as we've seen in Scripture here this morning, it changes our address from that temporal tent to that permanent, majestic, glorious mansion that can never change. For the Christian, that's what it is. It's a change of our address. It's a change of our living place. However, and again, that's why judgment comes in in the text. However, brethren, for the non-Christian, mortality opens the door for, if you will, the most horrifying part of their lives ever. The most horrifying, the most treacherous, the most scary thing that one could imagine is to pass off this planet, pass off the earth, and have ignored Christ, have rejected Christ, have put something else in the place of Christ. Yes, that's what religion does. They're putting other things in the place. Can you imagine what that is like without Christ? To stand there naked in judgment. That's what men will be. They will stand there with their own works, stand there in their own, and I don't mean literally naked, but they will have nothing to cover them. The atoning work of Christ is not there. All that can be there then is the judgment of God in hell. Think of that for a moment. Consider that. This is what Paul is really calling us to. Consider that which is temporal to that which can never change and never lose and never be taken away. It's amazing, isn't it? When we consider this, it is a most grave thing to consider. They indeed do face a much greater suffering, which is the righteous judgment of God that will be upon them. And brethren, listen to me this morning. If you're lost, your whistling past the graveyard changes nothing. Do you understand that? Your whistling past the graveyard changes nothing. It does not change the reality of what Scripture says concerning where one will end up for all of eternity. It's a stunning thing, isn't it? As I said, this is something the Lord used when he was drawing me. This ever obsession with looking at people's pictures in an obituary and going, they were here, where did they go? Now let me close. i got to close. And I want us to read this together. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. Listen here if you would. Look at Proverbs chapter 22. Let's just go there and we'll close with this. Proverbs chapter 22. 
Those pastors, they're always closing, aren't they? They're always getting done. <laughs> All right, I promise. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 22. Look there if you would. Look at verse number 2. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, verse 3 is our attention getter. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. A prudent man seeth the danger. That's literally what that word means. So when you see danger, what happens? And hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are what? Punished. When we hear the grave warnings from Scripture, that is God warning us of the danger that's coming. And believe you me, it's coming. We are like a, like a shadow in the night. We're like a vapor in the air. The author of Proverbs here says, the prudent man will see it and he'll react righteously to it. So this morning, this is what we must all consider ourselves. Our, you know, the question, as I shut the Bible, <laughs> there are many eternal questions in Scripture. Many. I quoted one when I prayed this morning, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's an eternal question. That has to be answered by all of us. But the other one is this. As Jesus himself asked his disciples, all these people left, they made a false profession on John there. They made a false possession. He had profession. He had a large following. And he gets into the nitty-gritty and the teaching of all the deeper things, and they all start leaving. And he looks at his disciples and goes, will you leave too? And you remember what they said? No, Lord. No. Why? Because we have come to believe and know that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because he makes it personal. He asks this question, what do you think? And then he looks at you know, Peter and goes, what about you, Peter, personally? So it would be like me pointing at you, brother Zach. What do you think, Zach? What do you think about who I am? And you remember what Peter said? I have come to know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus tell him? Good job, Peter. Oh, you did that all on your own. You're such a good guy. I'm so glad you were. No, listen to what he said. He said, what? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. Son of John, that's what that means. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. Listen. But my Father which is in heaven. Yes. The Lord, when he reveals himself to you, you must trust in him, believe in him, and be saved. Amen? That's what it is. I like what Jim Elliott said, that great missionary to the Indians. Well, before they had spears sticking out of them, they gave their life for the gospel of Christ. Listen to what Jim Elliott told his mother, because his mother was concerned about him. You're going to go over there. Those elk Indians will... They'll wipe you out. No, I'm trusting the Lord. Nope, I'm trusting the Lord. Him and Sam, the rest of them. He told his mom this before he left. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep 
to gain that which he cannot lose. Amen? Brothers, let's pray together. Father, we certainly feel the tension of our text this morning. And Father, it is not meant to be a dark, morbid thing. It's meant to teach us and to show us how important it is that we do not spend so much time on that which is temporal, our mortal lives. And again, we have to. We've got to take care of ourselves. I'm not saying that. But more than that, it is the idea of having this desire, having this earnest expectation to be with you which Paul said is better by far. Father, it's big talk. I, I always say it's, man, it's easy to say. It's another thing as the Spirit of God works on us to make that a reality in our lives. And Father, we pray as we look in the mirror and as we grow older, again, that we will always be Christ-centered, thinking about eternity, that which will never end versus constantly catering to our flesh, our temporal place. Father, we pray this morning for the brothers and sisters that through this they are edified, as Paul was meaning to be as well, to edify the brethren there to, again, have them be focused on that which is important. Again, whether he lived or died, his concern was that Christ is magnified and lifted up. And so, Father, may we too come to that place again as we anticipate a hundred years from now. All of us will have tasted it, tasted death if you have so chosen to wait. Father, I pray that we are prepared, that we have heard the danger this morning that comes to those who reject Christ, those who place something in his stead to be saved. Pray, Father, that you'll help us. Help us, Lord, we pray. And now, Lord, as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, we will remember and rejoice together, won't we, brethren, for sure, in what you've done for us. Again, another biblical truth. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot even begin to think that we can do that. All done by Christ, through Christ, and the sacrifice of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you now, Lord, for this remembrance and for this time together. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen.